Uh, this month of October, five Sundays in this month, we've been, we've been talking about discipleship, discipleship DNA, uh, looking at some of the characteristics or traits or what we might want to call spiritual genes or sp- spiritual uh, genetic makeup of a disciple, a true follower uh, of Jesus Christ. Now, a part of that is uh, being a faithful steward of all that God has given to you if you are a follower of Christ. Now, as we voted today, uh, I hope we have proven our 2017 budget because there's some challenging things in there. But it includes a challenge to hopefully you read the the, uh, presentation and you are pleased uh, with what we mailed out to you because we didn't have all that many on the 16th to come and hear the explanation. But uh, it includes a challenge of paying off the remainder of the loan on our student center and also providing funds for giving to our children's building, the second building here, a complete makeover. And it needs that. Uh, and it's going to be a, a beautiful, beautiful look. It's going to be a modern uh, interpretation of, of the Noah's Ark theme. And it's just going to be absolutely fantastic. I hope that um, next Sunday we have uh, an even more amplified uh, version of that so we can even show it to you in worship next Sunday than what we had uh, last su- two Sunday nights ago uh, when we uh, presented the budget and shared those plans. Uh, the theme of the budget uh, and our challenge for funding this $1.7 million budget and paying off uh, the remaining debt on the, the student building and refurbishing uh, the children's building remodeling uh, as well as providing thousands of dollars of additional revenue if everyone uh, would accept this challenge, is bound up in the 1 plus 30 challenge. That's what we entitled this financial plan of ministry, or our budget, if you want to call it that. So we have about 463 giving units in the life of our church. And um, if every giving family uh, who has given in the recent years, especially last year, we base it off of that, would give 1% more, uh, and then would give a commitment, make a commitment to give $30 a month to the debt reduction. We could be debt-free in two years. We would have excellent facilities for all age levels in the life of our church. We would meet our $1.7 million budget, and there is that possibility, there's that potential of uh, picking up new givers as well as adding 1% to those of us who already give, that we could generate over $300,000 of extra revenue uh, that would supplement and add to the ministry of our church. And think about the possibilities of how much more would go to missions and how much more we would have here for ministry in our community here in Northeast Columbia. Now, I also want to challenge you, if you've not given to the Lord uh, by giving here through Spring Valley Baptist Church, and, and many of you have not. We just, I don't know names, I just know by figures about that. Uh, that out of our 1,600 and so members, a good many of you who do not give anything to support the life of the church. But if you've not been a regular giver, this is a great time to start doing that. And I would encourage you to begin with 3 or 4%, or if you want to just bite it all and take it all at one time and make that jump, then 10% would be your tithe. And, and so that's what we would ask you to do, to come alongside of us, the rest of us who do give, and, and be faithful and obedient to what God teaches us in his word about a disciple gives generously. Now think about what we're asking you to do at $30 a month. If every family gave 
$30 a month, $30 a month for two years, if I did my math correct and I had several people to check it, that would mean that we would give over two years $720 per family giving unit. And that's not a whole lot. I know that um, every family is different. Every income in every family, every level is, is different. I don't know all the needs that are out here before us and how well uh, we, you use your money and who gives and who does not give. But you think about that. To, to do a $150,000 renovation job on the children's building, make it a state-of-the-art uh, design for our children and young families, uh, and you can do it for $30 a month. And over a two-year period, it's only an additional $720. Well, I know everybody has financial commitments, but let me ask you to take a look at something. Uh, look at what you spend on recreation. Look at what you spend on sports, on movies, eating out, uh, electronics today. It takes a lot of money. Uh, equipment for social media, your iPhones, your Kindles, iPads, whatever else there are out there that, that you use, iPhone or whatever, all of those things. You know, there's a lot of money that goes there. There's probably money that you're spending on some things that you could cut out and make that extra $30 gift. Uh, this is a challenge for us to be generous. I don't know if anybody got caught up in all of this uh, with, with the World Series uh, Jay, my uh, son-in-law, is a diehard Cubs fan for years, and he wanted us to go over the weekend. And I said, man, you look at the prices for those tickets. They average about $6,500 at Wrigley Field. Uh, $6,500 for one ticket to watch a World Series game. Of course, they hadn't had a World Series game in Chicago Stadium at the Cubs Stadium um, since uh, 1945. Um, and it looks like the way Cleveland's playing that uh, Chicago's going to have a quick time in the World Series anyway. But um, I also read that uh, in, in uh, Cleveland that there were some people who paid over $19,000 a ticket to sit right on the front row. And people bought them four at the time. Can you imagine that? That's about $80,000 being spent on a ticket to watch a baseball game. I decided to stay at home and save my money and just watch it on TV. Yeah? But, but people spend money where they want to. Now, I'm not saying anybody here in this congregation would spend $6,500 for a ticket. I, I would hope not. I think that's very extravagant and wasteful. And certainly not $19,000. But let me ask you about something else then. Let's see if we can bring it down home that might say something about this. Um, tomorrow is what? It's Halloween, right? And so, what are you going to do about that? Well, you know, it started out to be, uh, well, one thing from a spiritual nature, all Hallow's Eve and all that. And now it's gotten to be where it was supposed to be for children to dress up and, as characters and go around trick-or-treating and get candy. Well, now adults are into that, probably more than children are. I read this week that it is estimated that adults will spend $1.2 billion on Halloween costumes this year. They will spend $950 million on children's costumes. Now, I don't know whether this applies to you or not, but you will also spend $350 million on costumes for your pet. And, of course, the candy. You will spend $2.1 billion on candy. 
Now, I don't know whether you call that being generous or whether you call that extravagant. I think extravagant. We can, we can spend money pretty extravagantly. But we all know when we come to hear a stewardship message in the life of the church, it kind of puts us all on edge, right? And I don't know why. Because if you love Jesus and you're grateful for your salvation and you want to be a disciple and follow after God the way he wants you to, you ought not to have any problem with what the Bible tells you to do with your money. And you ought not to have any problem giving to the life of this church, if you're a member of this church, to help support it. We're nowhere near our giving potential. You know, and, and if we had everybody who would be faithful to give that 10% or more, we wouldn't have any financial needs. Everything would be paid for. We'd be able to fund more ministries. We'd be able to penetrate Northeast Columbia. We'd be able to send money around the world in missions and to reach the world. Now, let me give a challenge some more about this. Let's think about this. If we picked up 50 new giving families, that would mean $36,000 more to the debt service. You say, okay, how, how, that's a lot of people, a lot of families. How about if we pick up 25 new giving families? Well, that would mean an additional $18,000 more to debt services. Think how much quicker we would pay off uh, the debt on the student center and on the children's building. And then if new families start giving, and you start at 3 or 4% if you've not been giving anything, that's a great start. And you see, all of this challenge about our giving and our budget is how we operate to glorify God and to advance the kingdom of God through the ministries of Spring Valley Baptist Church. Now, we're talking today about the spiritual gene of generosity that a disciple gives generously. And the motivation behind being willing to give is generosity, having a spirit of generosity. Now, look, listen to the scripture for today. When Apostle Paul is writing in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 9, and this is what he says. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And Paul goes on and says, now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, the whole lot we can say about a disciple of Jesus Christ gives generously. But I, I think there are four uh, foundational truths found in this passage of Scripture that ought to challenge us about being a generous giver as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number one, God is the source of every blessing in our life. That's what the Bible teaches us, that God is the source of every blessing in our life. See, our source of income is not our job or our investments, but it's God who owns everything. 
When Paul says that God is the one who supplies the needs to the soul, the seeds to the sower, that simply means that every good thing, every gift in your life has come down from God. In fact, James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. The Bible tells us very clearly that God owns everything in the universe. The reality of that is we don't own anything. What we have in our hands that sometimes we hold on to so tightly and very dearly are things that God has given to us to manage for his glory for a particular period of time. So we're not going to take anything with us when we leave this world. Do you realize God is the source of your income? You say, no, 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 no. I work. I work hard. I work by the sweat of my brow. I work hard thinking. I work hard at the computer. Well, that's true when you do. And you're blessed by it, by God. But everything is God's. And what you have is what he gives to you. And you're to manage it for his glory. So if you think, you're tempted to think that what you've earned is yours and you did it by yourself, Listen to this challenge that Moses gave to the children of Israel as they were moving to a new way of life and from the exile, the period of exile coming out of Egypt, coming towards the promised land. He said, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, he was warning the people then that you might get conceited and think that what is taking place is doing, being done through your power and through your strength. And he is saying, take a minute and think. It is God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God owns everything. He graciously allows us to manage it for his glory, and that's called stewardship. Not just giving money, but managing for him. Let me give you a mathematical quiz real quick. If you made $1,000 this week, how much of it belongs to God? All of it. Good. See, if you say $100, then you got the tithe figured right, okay? And see, God's saying 10%. It makes it easy for us. You can figure your tithe without a calculator, basically, can't you? So we got to remember, it's just not the tithe. God owns everything. It all belongs to God. That's foundational point one. Number two. God designed us to be channels of blessings. God designed us, his disciples, his people, to be channels of blessings. And we need to understand that very clearly. Some people are selfish and greedy and stingy. Other people we know are very generous. As a rule, and this is a sad thing to tell you if you don't already know it, Christians, church people, don't always have the reputation of being generous. Look around at all the churches where people believe that they say they believe in Jesus and the Savior and that God owns everything and no church is reaching its giving potential. I don't care you pick out the biggest church in America and you look at their financial records and if you had insight into their membership, I think you would still find that in most churches, 50% of the members still don't give. You want a free ride is what a lot of people want. 
But you see, God has designed us and challenged us to be generous. Now, what does it mean when we're to be channels of blessings? Well, a channel has no purpose except to connect two bodies of water, and it's designed to move water from the source to another place. It's not meant to hoard that which is being moved. And in the same way, that's the way God has designed us. He blesses us with jobs. He blesses us with income. Uh, he gives you the mind to make smart and wise investments, intelligent investments, and make money. But it's not to hoard it. It's to be a, it's so that we can be channels of blessings with that money. Giving generously back to God for his glory and honor. See, it's the nature of God to give, and he is a generous God. Think about just a few simple things. He gave light to a dark world. He took a clump of clay and made a human and called him Adam. He gave variety and beauty to this world and all of its creation from the animals to to the plants and trees and shrubs. And he gave his only son. He gave his only son for our salvation. God is a giver and that's the way he wants us to be as well. A&E, I've watched it so long, I don't even know what A&E stands for on these reality shows. But one of the shows that they have on there, and I don't think I've ever watched a full episode of it because it kind of gets on my nerves, is one called Hoarders. You might be familiar with that if you've watched that, Hoarders. I mean, I have seen some pathetic sights. Now, I'll tell you, I grew up with two women, my mother and my grandmother. And they were two women. One a little bit older than the other one, and they, when they lived through the Depression. And let me tell you, when I went to clean out the house, I found that they didn't throw away hardly anything. Some of you are that same way today, right? I mean, I found balls of string. It was tinfoil boiled up. You know these aluminum pie pans that you get, the, your, your, your pies come in, you buy them from the store? That, I don't know. There must have been 10,000 of those things stuffed in the cabinet. What in the world they were for, I have no earthly idea. But now you could walk through the house. Some of these episodes on hoarders, you can't even walk through the house where people have things stored. And, and it's really a disease. And sometimes that word hoarder comes into our lifestyle. You know, we like to think that we're being prudent. We like to think that we're being shrewd. We like to think that we're being wise. But we hoard what needs to be given and given freely to God. See, Jesus said the problem with storing up treasures on earth is that moth and rust can destroy them and thieves can steal them. And the best place of all to make your investment with your finances is to store your treasure in heaven. Well, how do you do that? Well, you store your treasure in heaven when you are generous for the cause of the kingdom of God and you invest your finances in the kingdom of God, which brings people to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a channel of blessing. Then the third foundation of truth is this. The more you give, the more God blesses your generosity. We ought to have many, many people in the life of our church to give testimony to that. I want to just emphasize some of these verses. Verse 6 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 8 he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
Verse 11 says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Being generous isn't just a good idea. It's a biblical principle. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. See, God has what's called a generous cycle. We give and God gives to us. And when we're generous, God blesses us generously. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, you know what? God hasn't blessed me generously lately. Let me just ask you to think about this question. Have you broken that cycle of God's generosity? How do you break that cycle? By not being generous and not giving. Here's the fourth foundational principle of discipleship that's generous. When we honor God with our income, He meets our needs. Verse 8 Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God has not promised to meet all of our wants. And in our culture of affluenza, I think we've been consumed by a desire for more and more. We've got more wants than we have needs. Paul would write to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, and he would say, Godliness with contentment is great gain. How many of you today could say that, that you live in contentment? You, you, you've earned your living. You're still earning your living. You're giving to God generously. You're, you're accepting the blessings that God has given to you. And you are at peace. You are content with what God has given to you and how he has blessed you. And see, Paul is saying, if you can live that godly life, godliness with contentment, then you're pleased with where you are in relationship with God and with the things that he has blessed you with in your life. Contentment is better, and this is my interpretation. Contentment is better than worrying about an investment portfolio that makes 32% return. That would be an incredible return rate, wouldn't it? But contentment is far more important than that. And the key is to honor God first instead of giving Him your leftovers. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, I've watched and noticed a lot of commercials on television these days about people wanting to trace their ancestors. They think they are more Scotch-Irish than anything else, and they find out that they are not, that they've got other heritage in their life. Well, we got a short video clip where people are using DNA just through a spit sample, and they are finding out all kinds of things about people. I want you to take a quick look about this woman who is in this study group and the discovery that's made about her and how she responds to that. Hello. 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 It's uh, Alaha, is it? Mm, That's correct. Okay. I'm originally from Kurdistan in Iran, but I'm 
a political refugee and I came to Denmark with my siblings and my parents. You have a cousin in this room. Mm-mm. What? When we were doing all these tests, one of the things it does is it looks through the one and a half million people in our database and finds cousins. It just so happens one of those cousins is sitting up there behind you. Turn around and guess who it is. I think I know who it is. Where are you? Wash? Yeah. What's that? Why don't you come down here and oh meet your cousin? Oh my god. That's interesting, isn't it? Let me just leave you with this challenging thought. Suppose there were a spiritual DNA test that would reveal whether you had the generosity gene from Jesus. What would it show about your life? You see, a disciple of Christ is generous. Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. You give to us everything in life, everything we need, everything that we have. Oftentimes you go beyond that in your generosity and you bless us with other things beyond our needs and we're grateful. So I pray that you would work through us and challenge our hearts over the next week and a half or so as we sit down to make our stewardship commitments for the coming year. And I ask that you would speak to our hearts in such a way that we would know that you call us to generosity and that we would respond with generosity to a great challenge that is before us. You've given us an open door into Northeast Columbia in so many different ways. And I ask, Father, that we respond with the opportunity to go through those doors with being generous with our resources that will fund our ministries as we want to share the kingdom of God with Northeast Columbia. And I pray that careful deliberation, prayerful deliberation will be made as our church family in the coming week will make stewardship commitments for the coming year. Bless us in that effort. Through Jesus' name, amen.